Welcome to It's Real with Jordan Edwards, episode 26 with Dan St. Germain. Dan is a very funny comedian. He's appeared on Conan and Fallon and Comedy Central. He's also written for shows like The Break with Michelle Wolf, Alternatino with Arturo Castro, and the sitcom Superior Donuts. I invited Dan on the show because he had scheduled a couple club dates. He has since canceled those dates, but we talked about other stuff, including writing for television and whether or not appearing on late night talk shows really matters anymore. So here it is, episode 26 with Dan St. Germain. How you doing, Dan? I'm good, thank you. The reason I reached out to you, you know, you're, after all this, you are doing a club show in Providence pretty soon here. So tell me how that came together and why you're doing it. Well, it's an outside, it's an outside tent sort of thing. So I'm kind of monitoring the situation as it happens. And it's, it's gonna be next Friday and Saturday. You know, if it's one of these things where there's a huge spike on on Monday, I'm probably, you know, I mean, I'm not going to do it, but it's, it's tough, man. Everybody's like, everybody's starting up again. And I got to make money, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great, you know, you're, this is like the land of bad options. Yeah. Like there's no good, good thing to do. Right. There's no good thing to do. I, originally I was going to call it cause it was, but then the owner, you know, he has a, an outside tent now and, he just rehired all his staff. So it's like, you're like, what's... You feel like the weight of the business is on your shoulders a little bit. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but because I, I, I do think that like whoever they would put in my place would get the same amount of people there. You know, it's not like I'm a huge draw. So if it was, if, if it was like I was a draw or something and I knew it was going to be packed to the gills, I probably wouldn't do it. But because it's an outside tent and whoever they're going to have in that spot is going to get the same amount of people as me. I'm like, uh, well, you're not like a Kevin Hart caliber draw, but you've been on TV before. I feel like uh, with a comedian, nothing nowadays. (laughs) I've been on on 30 to 40 TV shows. Nobody watches TV anymore. Nobody gives a shit. Well, I mean, it's still like notches in your belt. It's kind of like Cub Scout batches or something, you know, like each show you do. Yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. You're right. It's it's nice. It's very nice to be like, look at me on Jimmy Fallon. I'm not crazy. Or look at me on Conan. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I wasn't crazy to do this. But as far as actually moving the needle, I, I don't really know. I, I, you got to get to a certain, I don't know. I would say you got to get to a certain level, but not really. I mean, either you find an audience or you don't, or you have a small audience or you don't. And maybe I just have a small audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, you know, one thing you have on your side is that comedy, unlike, say, being a pop singer, is that there's a lot of there's a long record of comedians who became popular in their 40s and 50s more than they were in their 20s and 30s. So yeah, but who wants to be famous? It's sort of psychotic urge. Well, when you're. Yeah, I've been, I mean, it's freaked out. I mean, I'm free. Obviously, I'm freaked out because I, you know, I was driving around you know, where I'm staying now, I'm not staying in New York, I'm staying in Massachusetts. And they just opened up all the restaurants and they're like, oh, we have outdoor seatings and it's, you know, it's gonna be socially distanced. And then you drive past the restaurants and they're packed. 
They're yeah. like absolutely packed outside. Yeah, if you give someone, if you give people an inch, they'll take a mile. You know, with this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I just think it's everybody. You know, everybody's dying to come out, and it's probably not great. But I don't know if they're going to close the economy again. I, I would very, you know, if it wasn't at a ten, I would really have second thoughts. But I figure like it's outside. It's a little. Have you ever have you ever done a show in a tent? Yes, I did the Whatever Comedy Festival, which was awesome. And I did this Friend of Nature Festival where I don't really remember because I was blackout drunk the entire time, but apparently I had a great set. Uh, and that was where they stiffed us all on money. Uh, that, was, that was kind of a crazy situation. Yeah, yeah I've, I've done, I mean, I've also done outside shows too, which are usually terrible. Like for whatever reason, the tent gives you a semblance of normalcy. Uh, so yeah, I, I prefer a tent. It would kind of feel like giving an extended wedding toast or something. Right. That's what it feels like. How active have you been? Because that's like the biggest thing is there's, I feel like, like active. I mean, active as in physically active. Have you, have you been going outside? Have you been? I've been going, I mean, like we, we've kind of are in a remote place. Uh, so we go on walks every day and, you know, my wife is really great about working out. Um, I'm not as great. Um, I'm not nearly as great. So uh, I try to work at home, but I, I won't go to a gym right now. I, I don't really want to go <laughs> anywhere indoors that people are sweating. That doesn't sound great to me. Right. And how has your nutrition been? Because that's like the other key to this. Oh, bad. <laughs> you know, really bad. I mean, I've always had bad nutrition. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm obese. I'm not morbidly obese. But I am, you know, overweight, uh, so that's not good. You know, it's like when you quit drinking and doing other stuff, it's like food becomes your thing, you know? Like, right. I think that always may be the hardest one because it's the one that I was kind of raised on. It's like, oh, you feel an emotion? Eat a donut. Do you feel, I mean, as a comedian, your your physical appearance is kind of when you're seeing your beard and your hair and your belly or whatever you want to say. Do you feel like if you ever shaved your beard or lost a lot of weight, that would really jack up your, your thing? Uh, I don't think it would jack anything up except for my life expectancy. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that I'm ever going to get like a Chris Pratt body. I don't think it would hurt. And if I shaved, it would hurt. It would definitely hurt my career. <laughs> I have no chin. I have a very weak chin. You write, you act, you perform do you want to do one of those things more? Do you want to do, be and like, do you want to be, because back in the 80s and 90s, the goal for a stand-up comedian, you know, you wanted your own sitcom. Is that still a right. thing? I think that's what I was supposed to say for a long time after Montreal, because that's what you're almost conditioned to say. And then you sell a show and then they don't make it. And it turns out you weren't the thing. But, uh, you know, like, I, I, I don't know, man. You know, like, I would love to, I mean, my, my, my idea of success now is would probably be living somewhere else besides Los Angeles and New York and being able to make my money remotely. That would be a success. And, and if it's in the business, great. So like I'm, I'm, I'm in the beginning stages of hopefully adapting this book into a movie. And, you know, I do my podcast, Total F and Marks and All Things Comedy, if you're a pro wrestling fan. Uh, on sound, you know, on all things comedy, it's on SoundCloud, and I can do it from here. So, yeah, I mean that that would be that would be cool. I, I don't know. I don't have any desire to be the next guy or gal. I, I just kind of would love to 
make a living and be comfortable and, and not uh, and kind of be out of the public eye, I think. I think an interesting time to have been a comedian would have been like in that like 50s and 60s era, kind of like the Don Rickles, Jackie Mason era when you could just go on talk shows and be a comedian, you didn't have to like have projects necessarily as markers of your success. You could just be a comedian. Well, that was a, but, but it was, I mean, like he would go on, you know, he would go on those shows and then sell out in Vegas for how many nights in a row. And and there just isn't that there, there aren't, there, there are more people doing it and there are a ton of venues but there aren't as many venues. There's no Johnny Carson. You do that, and then the next day you have a sitcom that doesn't really exist anymore. Well, I Plus, think- like if you look at like the cancellation bear, almost every May, I would say. I mean, I don't have a figure, but I would say to it, you know, like I would say like four fifths of the new comedies are canceled. Yeah. So, but I mean, doing late night shows is still a boost. Doing Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or something. Not really. I you don't think it so? Really isn't. No, it's a nice feather in a cap. I think that in the beginning, the Tonight Show, when the Tonight Show was getting a ton of numbers, it did. Uh, actually, I was supposed to do the Tonight Show in April on April sixth, but the pandemic happened. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it has the same effect anymore. I think going on Joe Rogan helps a lot. I think going on Terry Gross helps a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think that like if you go on the big sh- interview shows where people really get to know you, that helps. I mean, if you're on panel, if you're panel on the Tonight Show or something, but that third slot is is tough. It's tough for anybody. What's your favorite show t- that you've been on so far? What TV experience did you enjoy the most? That I've been on. I mean, the thing that I like, the only thing that I think I've done that I'm like that people will remember is that I was one of the people who wrote jokes for Michelle Wolf's White House Correspondent Speech. And I got like two or three jokes in there, I forget. But I think that that's, that's one that people will remember. As far as me being on stuff, stuff, I mean, you know, I have like a couple videos with, you know, like one video, my This Is Not Happening set that's like over a million views, but probably when I was in a Super Bowl commercial and I got shot with a fire hose, by Howard Stern. That's probably the most eyes that have ever been on me. Yeah. I don't think any or, or ever will be. Like when you're or super ever will be, yeah. yeah. It doesn't even matter if I, you know, win an Oscar or some shit. It's that that's going to probably have the most eyes. That's a whole nother like wave that you can ride is if you're lucky into a TV commercial character like Flo from Progressive that you just do over and over yeah. again and just rake in those checks. She gets handicapped too because I hear that she's got I don't know this for a fact, but a lot of the people that are that have those type of deals, they they can only do certain things. Like if there's a stand-up clip, and you know they say something that offends somebody, and then that person tweets at the company, they can they can get hands. Right, it's advertising so dollars. It's lost. like the golden handcuffs. You've written for all these different things, and I'm interested. You talked about the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and you also did the comedy. By the way, Michelle wrote like most of that, so that that's another reason yeah. of why. It was kind of an honor to get in there. Right. That you actually got your One jokes. Of the best comedy writers alive. It's kind of like, was there like a little shot of adrenaline when you heard your joke being told? Yeah. Like a little little rush? It was a crazy situation because, you know, we were in the, we were in there, we were there because I was writing on the break with Michelle Wolf at the time and uh, before that got canceled. But uh, yeah, we were, we were like in a table in the corner 
watching the whole thing go down. It was it was it was pretty nuts. Well, the whole idea of of writing for events like you also wrote for the Comedy Central roast of Rob Lowe was that was that right? Yes, I did. So under my. How does that work? Is there like a collaborative thing or do you like just submit jokes or are, is there actually I mean, writers? Like, you know, I was only on one or two weeks for that. I forgot. I think it was only one week. It was like two weeks from the show. But in that situation, it was just Frank telling us, like giving us the name of a celebrity and then giving us, you know, uh, 45 minutes or something like write 15 jokes about him or something like that. So it was a lot of repetition. And then he would highlight the ones he liked. But as it goes later on, and I haven't been there, you should ask Michael Lawrence about this. But as it goes later on, that it becomes more collaborative, and you know, you work more with the talent. So, do you enjoy being in a writer's room? Uh, it depends on the situation or room. Like you've uh, written for you've been, you've written for a sitcom. Written for a sitcom. I, I wrote with some incredibly talented people there. Uh, shout out Jermaine Fowler. But the hours on that are are always ridiculous. You know, it's always like. 60 to 80 hour weeks and they're you know you're really you know like with writing a sitcom especially if you're writing a sitcom now i, I never wrote on a chuck lorry show that was already made <laughs> although i hear like writing for that guy is, is resents its own set of stress uh but th this show that i you know the show that i was on it was still you know it was the first and second seasons of career donuts and then they canceled it. at that point i had gone to michelle so i i i literally hopped from one like life raft to the next but uh, yeah, they it, it's when you're on a show that's on a bubble like that, like like the first season, we would have a good rating and then a weak rating and then a good, you know, and so you have the studio and the network giving you notes. Not to mention you have a bunch of actors, some of who are very famous and have made a lot of money uh, being uh, in sitcoms, uh, giving their input. So it's just a, it's a lot of a lot of chefs in the kitchen. So it's not like, cause there's this fictionalized writer's room where you see like on 30 rock or something where everyone just kind of goofing off and maybe there's some guy writing on a whiteboard, but it's a lot more stressful than that. There's so that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think it's both. I mean, I think that's why it's, it's so long is that you need some of that fucking around time. You just need it to clear your head. But comedy's a weird job in that you have to kind of take a break, you know, just to, like kind of let loose again. And from that letting loose, you know, something maybe, you know, unjammed. What I think is interesting is when the office and parks and rec became big, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was, there was this feeling that the laugh track multicam sitcom was going out. It was old fashioned, but those, you were talking about the Chuck Lorre shows. They're just like a machine that just keeps going. And no matter yeah, what happens, I think that it's not it's not the lab it's not the type of sitcom. The one thing they were right about is the numbers of TV keep going down because there are just more entertainment options. So even I mean, you look at like the last episode of uh, Big Bang Theory, and I think that was like twenty million people watched yeah. it. So I, I think the last Seinfeld was like how how many people like seventy or ninety million. So Crazy. it does show you that. Like the number, it, there is a steady trend where the numbers are going down. Like you can't avoid that. Those, those Chuck Lorre type sitcoms, I feel like they're more likely to succeed than a thinking man's more, you know, highbrow comedy is, is, is harder to, to keep going these days. There's just, you know, there's a lot of options and, you know, I love what we do in the shadows, but I'm sure the numbers compared to 
you know, a network show or infinitesimal. But I, I really love what FX has done and those yeah. types of cable networks where they don't have to have, where they can have a million and a half viewers and that's fine. The market yeah. adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, yeah. I mean, that, that, that is one of the benefits is that people are, there are more options now and that you can find, you know, you can find whatever you want. If you're into this type of, I, I like a procedural uh, medical show and there are literally a hundred million options for that now that you can watch at your fingertips. You mentioned that you were adapting uh, a book into a, a movie. Is that yeah, it's what? not, it's not solidified yet. So I'm not going to say, well, you, I, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not asking for the details, but I'm curious is that kind of your next endeavor in general is you want to go more into film? Um, well, I, 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 this, this particular story interests me a lot. I, I don't really have like a plan. I, I, I guess, I guess some people do. I, I, you know, I read this book. It was really interesting to me and I thought it would make a great movie. So I contacted the author and now we're talking, but <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I I, I just kind of go, I, I still think I kind of go with whatever interests me and what's the next bright, shiny object. Are you kind of tired of the, you you know, you, you're you known for doing bits and doing stand-up about your drug use and, and abuse and, and recovery. Are you kind of past that? Do you want to do something different in terms of material? I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, there's some people that go on stage where somebody told me this, uh, is that like somebody like, I think Luby went on stage with like just six topics and riffed off the topics and was able to come up with great shit. Like I've never been able to do that. <laughs> and I think like you have to like get to a certain level as a comic to be able to do that. And who knows, maybe I'll be able to do that. But for the most part, like I've thought, Oh, this is a funny bit. Let me do it. And a lot of that has been drugs and alcohol because they were a big part of my life. Now that I'm, I don't drink anymore, I'm not doing cocaine, and I'm in a pretty happy marriage. There are new uh, difficulties, <laughs> like 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 realizing what to write about, and and I think too that gets touchy because you know there's certain things like for instance like like everything that's going now with the with the George Floyd protests and uh, Black Lives Matter. It's like you want to do bits about that, but then you also like, are you really representing the struggle if you do a bit about it? You know, like, right. are you the guy to be doing a bit about it? Well, you can do so, bit, like, you can do bits about like making fun of influencers going to protest as photo ops. I mean, that kind of I mean, that's general true. You area. can definitely do that, but even then, it's like that's kind of low hanging fruit, right, right? Compared to the problems that are going on. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, that's another whole nother, you know, a whole nother thing is political comedy. You know, you, you don't do any like Trump bits or. I have, I've know. done Trump bits for sure. I had, I've had a couple on this week at the comedy center and seller. I wrote, you know, politics stuff for Michelle's show and I had some Trump bit on Conan, but no, I, I don't, you know, I mean, how, how many times do you, do you go back and watch, even though he's incredibly talented, how, how much do you go back and watch, Lewis Black stuff, you know, it just doesn't, right. it's, it's just so, it's like somebody doing a joke about weapons of mass destruction is only going to work for a year. Yeah. I feel like George W. Bush bits 
wouldn't really play well now. Like they'd be like, ah, oh, okay. It's like a time capsule. Yeah, it's a time capsule bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just a whole other thing, like going, becoming a political comedian's a whole other area. And it's something that you have to like tread lightly around. And it's safe. Does it feel safe not to do political comedy because you're not being ridiculed for what you're saying? No, because, you know, that's a kind of a cost-benefit, like a cost-benefit-loss ratio. I don't know what the right words I'm just trying to say there. I know what you're saying, yeah. Uh, uh, where, yes, if you do a bunch of... A lot of comics now are playing to whoever their demo is. So if they do a bunch of jokes about fucking, you know, Fox and Friends, they're going to get that demo pissed at them, but they're going to have their demo is going to be bolstered. So I think the hardest is having a unique opinion that doesn't necessarily jump to either side and still making that funny and getting away with it. Right. Like you just can't do Trump has an orange face jokes. Like it just is like, who fucking cares? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to, and also it's like, how many fucking late night shows are there? Am I allowed to curse on this? Before? Yeah. I just, I just dropped an F bomb. So yeah. Okay, cool. When I get around comedians, I just want to like, I want to work blue as they, as they used to say. <laughs> you're wearing blue. Yeah, how many yeah. late night, how many late night shows are there? So if you're writing a bit, then you have to, you're in competition with literally like 20 staff members of every show that are writing for that show. Or, I mean, less than that, 10, 10 writers, whatever it is. And that happens all the time. I've written something on a show, and then something comes out before that show comes out where there's something that's very similar. And it's because we're all pulling from the same soup. Pulling from the same soup. That's one I haven't heard before. Maybe there you go. Yeah. Do you enjoy... I mean, I've, I've, I'm like projecting this career path for you where you become a TV star and you become a, a movie actor. But do you, th- there's this thing where comedians really love stand-up. That's why, you know, Chappelle and Seinfeld still do stand-up or, you know, recently, right. until recently do stand-up. There's this love of stand-up. Do you have that love of stand-up? I miss being on stage. I, I have a like of stand-up. I used to have a love of stand-up. Like you don't get off because like the 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 audience you don't have that like endorphin rush, you know. I did. I you. used to. I think what changed? You'll always get that endorphin rush with a new bit that works. You'll 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 get it less every time if it's an old bit that works, and then it'll actually do the opposite. Sometimes you'll do an old bit that works, and you'll hate yourself so much from you know digging from that same well that you're gonna. You know, it actually, it actually, like I've done a bit that I've done, that I've done before during a set and it's gotten a laugh and I was, and I've literally sit on stage like, ugh, I guess that still works. <laughs> and then like I'm depressed for my next bit. So it actually stalls momentum in some ways. Yeah. How much of success on stage as a comic has to do with the person who went on before you and how well they did. That's kind of the stereotype that we're fed as non-comedians, but how true is that? How much of your destiny of your own destiny do you control in a room? You always control a little. I think that that's why I got to stand up is that most of us are, are control freaks, especially if we came from other like, you know, acting or writing or other disciplines. So you control some of it, but yeah, you, you, you always want to go, after somebody who does really well, always. Well, because the, 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 some of the hard work has already been done. I, I mean, if somebody even annihilates, like you, you go on after 
you know, Chappelle doing 50 minutes of gold, you're probably going to, you know, get hurt. But like one of your, one of your really funny friends doing a killer 15 is probably the best spot you can be. Are you, are you in the camp that Chappelle is like the best, the greatest? I mean, I watched that Joe Rogan clip of him and Kevin Hart just talking about how great Dave Chappelle is. Is that a consensus among comedians? I think so. I think he's definitely the, the guy who's, who's the top guy. I mean, everyone else has different people that they would probably, you know, Bill Burr, Maria Bamford, Louie Patton, there's Chris Rock. There's people that you could put underneath it, but I, I would have to say that the, the Chappelle is the universally most liked. Comedy is one of, comedy is one of those things where you're judged by your era. You know how, like when they talk about the best athletes of all time, people talk about Babe Ruth and they're like, how can you compare Babe Ruth to Michael Jordan or something? It's like, how can you compare someone modern like Chappelle to say George Carlin? You know, you look at the Michael Jordan comparison is universally known as the best, probably professional athlete of all time. But you look at what LeBron's great at and what he's great at is very different than Michael Jordan. There's right. some basketball purists that prefer his game. Do you get tired? I get like when I'm around comedians, when I talk to comedians, there's a lot of analyzation of what makes something funny or what makes a bit funny. It's almost like breaking down game film. Do you do that? Or are you more, a little more, you know, big picture in terms of your act? Well, I'm definitely not big picture in terms of my act. Um, I, don't know. I, I, I don't have a, I, I mean, I know guys and, and gals, who uh, have big picture, like, if I do this, then it's going to lead to this, then it's going to lead to that. I, I definitely don't have that. I also don't have that big picture. I'm going to be talking about this because this is what this society is. As far as analyzing comics, I think everybody does. That's just part of their, you know, when you talk to somebody. But I, I don't talk about it as much as I used to, that's for sure. There's, there's too much to make fun of on social media for me to get annoyed about somebody's act. <laughs> I guess for me, if you, like, went through the process of putting a joke together, going on stage and doing it and it doing well, even if it's hack, I'm like, well, that's better than just fucking posting something on Instagram to get likes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Dan, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, before I let you go, tell the people where they can find you online. Uh, sure. Social media I have a podcast. If you're a pro wrestling fan, total F and marks on all things comedy. And uh, I uh, have a new set on Comedy Central, which is on YouTube, the Comedy Central featuring series. So check those out. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, buddy. It's Real with Jordan Edwards is presented by PopDust. You can go to popdust.com for the latest in entertainment and pop culture and music news. You can find me at Jordan Edwards Studio on Instagram and jordanedwardsstudio.com. Mm-hmm.